What's up, fellas? What's up, boys? Yo, yo. Good Yep. All right. Well, welcome to episode 34 of Live Guys Hideaway, everybody. I'm your host, Ian Barr, with my co-host, Rob Lowe Jr. and Dave Breckfire. Say hello, boys. What's up, everyone? Hello, everyone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I would have uh, gotten to this sooner, but goddamn, it's been a long week with you guys. Uh, I'm going to give a big shout-out to Allie for making me late as fuck for all this. Big shout-out to her. That was a, I mean, it was a good way to start my morning, nonetheless. I'm really happy you guys didn't cancel on me. Never. So, who are we talking today, boys? I fucking, I have done all this. <coughs> Weekend on my research on everything, I I have done nothing that's been asked of me. To be well, honest, uh, unfortunately, I think um, we've um, we've come on to someone that is both myself and Rob's favorite, the Rizzuto family. Oh yeah, Yo, I'm gonna let you fucking. Why Why don't we uh, do the shout outs real quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. Get I'll go. I'll go first. Um, shout out to our team at Omerta Social Club, Prison Tales Network. Everyone at NCS, National Crime Syndicate, NCS's Classic Gangster Society, Ciro DiPaggio and the Mob King. Also, go check out Ciro's new prison comedy, Suit Casting, on Amazon Prime. I got the pleasure to do a, a private screening before it came out, and I thought it was great. Right on. Dave, who you got? Um, I Yeah, um, I'm going to echo everyone. Obviously, Rob's just said, rather than go over everyone again, um, I've also got um, one of big shout out to Gangster uh, Profiles and also to obviously Bad Guy Podcast, all the guys over there. But also someone else as well is um, Criminal Underworld Compilation. He's on Instagram. He's also on LinkedIn yeah. as well. Some of his, some of the work that he does, it, it's like um, the really unknown stuff as well. So I really do enjoy some of the videos that he puts together. He puts a lot of time and effort into them videos. And uh, as I say, yeah, so big shout out to Criminal Underworld compilation as well. And of course, Dane Diller and Mobbed Up Inc. Um, as they continue their rise uh, to the top as well. So, yeah, that's me done. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give a big shout out to just, I mean, pretty much everybody you guys just named. But also uh, Brothers Mobile Mechanics uh, out, of, out of Detroit. That's Brothers with a Z, Mobile Mechanics. I do not have their number in front of me right now, so Google it. Like I said, I am fucking unprepared for this one, so I'm going to let these two run it. But along with that, I got to give a shout-out to Scott on Bernstein, the original Gangster Podcast. Uh, I got to give a uh, shout-out to my new friend uh, – not my new friend, my, my friend from high school. She started a new group selling, like, uh, details and uh, d- different things like that called Stick em Up. So if you follow me on Facebook or, I mean, if you fucking follow me, period, like, I'm probably going to send you an invite or, you know, some sort of link to that at some point. Go ahead and pop on there. I mean, see if there's anything you like, man. She's really talented. I've known her a long time. Like I said, we went to high school together. So uh, shout-out to our thing, Clothing Apparel, David Randazzo, Ronnie, all those boys out there. Shout-out to Sammy the Bull. Sammy, I'm not going to stop hounding you. I don't care how many <laughs> Whatever you get, wherever else, I will pay you to come on this motherfucker, and I'm I'm not gonna stop bothering you until you do. I'm gonna be honest. You're not gonna. You'll have to bury me like you buried so many others to get me to stop fucking giving you giving you shout outs in the podcast and trying to get you to come on here and, and fuck with us and let us pick your brain a little bit. Let me pick your brain a little bit. I don't give a fuck what the other two do, but yeah, I got uh I got a lot of questions for you, Sammy. So big shout out to Sammy the Bull. Um, fuck, who else we got, boys? I think I'm out of it. I think I'm just still drunk and high, and uh, I think I'm going to let you two talk uh, Vito Rizzuto. 
So, Rob, do you want me to, um, should we start off with the, um, the news report of um, Nicolo Rizzuto? Uh, I can play it here. Rob, you still there, brother? Did we lose Rob? It sounds like it, Rob. Hello? Oh, yeah, yeah. we're going back. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We, we Rob, should I, should I open up with the um, the news report about um, the dad, Nicolo Rizzuto's murder? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's hopefully this will work. A man, uh, 86-year-old man, was shot at least once. We see the shooting happened a little before 6 Wednesday evening. They say a lone gunman in the woods outside the house. He does say Rizzuto was a revered and symbolic figure. The plan was brought to his knees in a massive 2006 police dragnet in which scores of alleged mobsters were arrested. It was further weakened as the family and its associates were targeted in a series of slayings over the last year. Rizzuto's grandson was shot to death nearly a year ago. Now, no rules, no leaders, and it's very uh, volatile. One Canadian mafia expert says the killing is like the end of an era in the Canadian underworld. Matt Friedman, the Associated Press. Wow. So, the Rizzuto family. Do you want to start off, Rob? Yeah, I'll start off. Um, you know, we wanted, what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about the Rizzuto crime family of Montreal, which was uh, priorly, pri uh, previously in control of the Catroni crime family until the Rizzutos had taken it over. Um, one of the reasons we want to do this is the Rizzutos are kind of usually overlooked. You don't see too many people talking about them. Um, but, I mean, I've always said Vito Rizzuto is one of, you know, my favorite mob guys out there yep. with bosses. Yep. Um, he ran that family with an iron fist. He was a genius. Um, I mean, they literally had a billion-dollar empire, the Rizzuto kind of family, instead of just millions, hundreds of millions like our mafia families usually do. I believe at one point the uh, Italian government seized $270 million worth of assets from them, and it didn't even put a dent in. That's right. That's exactly. Right. They were huge. But uh, the father, Niccolo Rizzuto, he was born February 18th, 1924 in Sicily. And um, he was murdered November 10th, 2010 at the age of 86. That was the news report. Um, you guys just heard Rizzuto was in his home when uh, a sniper bullet passed through two windows, getting him in his neck, I believe. There's various versions of what happened. Some say he was standing up doing dishes. Some say he was standing helping his wife and daughter prepare dinner. And others say he was sitting down eating dinner. But regardless, right in front of his wife and daughter, the bullet came through the window and killed him. Mm. But what I mean, once it was, I mean, it, it was, um, I suppose it was on the cards with what was going on with the risottos at the time, wasn't it really? The death of Nicolo. Yeah, that was when uh, Vito Vito Rizzuto was actually in jail at the time, right. um, during because of the uh, the the murder of the the Capos. That, yeah, no, uh, so 
Free captain's murder, wasn't he, in the Bonanno family? Yeah. Uh, for Joe. Yeah, he, he was alleged uh, to be uh, one of one of the shooters. And um, when Joe Messino became an informant, he named Rizzuto as one of the shooters. And so Rizzuto came here and served. Um, I want to say I, I, he got sentenced to um, ten years. I think it was, wasn't it? Was it ten? Yeah, I, I believe. It, yeah, I believe it was ten years. Um, but he got out and. He was released from prison October fifth, two thousand twelve. So, um, it, but he fought extradition for for a while before um, before he was finally sent over yeah. to the United States. And the reason they got him is they didn't charge him with the murder of um, the the captains. They actually charged him in racketeering because if they charged him with murder, the Canadian government would not have deported him here to the United States because they don't they won't deport one of their citizens if the person is, uh, is going to face the death penalty or something like that. So mm-hmm. instead of charging them with murder, they charged them with racketeering in order to make sure they got him down there. And uh, he ended up pleading guilty um, on May 4, 2007, actually my birthday. And, and, it, uh, and also a day before the... Um the anniversary of the murders as well, wasn't it? Because the murders were the it third was, of my... I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, he got a 10-year sentence and a $250,000 fine, um, which 10-year sentence isn't bad for uh, for murder. No. As you know, Rob, I've I, I done... Um, I look quite a lot into the Rizzuto family myself, and I found that um, when he'd done the first plea bargain back in he done the plea bargain i think in 2006 october uh the judge refused it um and he said that uh how can he accept a specific sentence when he don't know what he did was he the driver was he one of the shooters it's all well and good yep. in being involved in the murder um uh-huh. so basically Vito then had to say that i was one of the guys who participated i said it was a hold up and the other guys come in and started shooting so yes. he, he nearly wasn't, uh, his plea bargain wasn't going to be accepted, was it? No, I don't think we know for sure if um, if he even did shoot anyone. I don't know. We don't, we don't know if he's telling no. the truth where he just burst out of the closet and said this is a holdup or if he was really one of the ones who uh, pulled pulled the trigger. I mean, either way, he's there. Murder, murder is murder. But um that's always been speculation. It wouldn't surprise me if he pulled the trigger, but you know who knows. I think, I think man, him and uh, Joey Messino were pretty close, weren't they? Like business wise, until old boy. I mean, obviously stitched him up and fucking set him up for ten years. I, I thought they had had some history. I don't know as much about the Rizzuto as you, as you guys, so I'm just kind of, you know yeah. Throw my feet yeah, my guess would be that he was one of the shooters because when you're coming out like that, um, you know. As soon as the they know they knew they're about to be killed, they're gonna reach for guns. So I don't think Rizzuto or anyone was gonna give them a chance to reach for guns. The smart thing to do would just to be come out shooting. So and, I do. and the thing with um, and the thing with Messino as well that um, it was him that gave the contract to Lefty Ruggiero and Donny Brasco, wasn't it? That forced the FBI to unveil Donny Brasco as an agent. Yeah, he was asked to shoot um, uh, Anthony in Delectico, uh, Sunny uh, Sunny Red Sun, wasn't it? Yeah, Sunny Red Sun. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so, 
What's up? Oh, sorry, mate. Go on. Sorry, my fault. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I was just saying, uh, I like what we got, what we had, sunny, sunny red on our brain. Um, who uh, do you guys remember who the other two couples were that they killed? I just want to give these guys some insight. Um, yeah, it was you had obviously Sunny Red. There was uh, Philip Giacconi and Dominic Trincaro. I couldn't get I couldn't get Dominic. Thank you, thank you so much. Jesus Christ, it was going to drive me nuts. <laughs> I had the two in my head, but I was like, I don't want to come out here half cocked just throwing fucking names out there, and you guys be like, well, that's oh, normally my problem, problem, but I've got my articles <laughs> in front of me, so I'm covered. <laughs> <laughs> now, now when um, you know when Vito, we, we talked. I think we talked about before. Vito did a great job at uh, controlling all the different gangs, and yep. um, in Canada, he worked with the bikies. Yeah. You know, he he would work with absolutely anybody because I mean, he convinced them all working together, we're going to make way more money than each of us trying to to go to war with one another and take over territories. So he did great at uh, doing that. And even when they came to arrest him, Vito said to them, he goes, you know, you guys are making a big mistake here. Things ain't going to be the same when I'm gone, you know, because he, he was the one, the reason Body there wasn't wars in between the biker gangs and other biker gangs and bodies laying in the street because Vito, you know, showed them that killing is bad for business and our cops on the payroll are not going to help us. So let's not, do all Mon- that and then Montreal was run the right way. Yes, there was corruption involving politicians, judges, and the police, but absolutely it kept things under wraps. It it it's yeah. it's gonna exist, so you have to control it's risk management, isn't it? What it comes down to with Vito, and he just done it. Uh, 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 yeah, I mean he that's why I've I've got so much respect for the guy for the way he done things. Yeah, because no, he, he did it. He did it right, a hundred percent. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, no problem. He thought. Go ahead, Liam. Yeah, he was a genius. Go ahead. It's all you, Red. Yeah. So, um, when when he was in jail, you know, he knew that everybody was gonna go to war with each other and try to try to take over. So he told the cops literally that you're making a making a big mistake. And then after he did, his father Nicolo Rizzuto had to come out of retirement in order to run the family while Vito was in, ju- was in jail. And Niccolo Rizzuto, speaking of him, he was born February uh, 18th, 1924 in Sicily. And um, he died November 20th, 2010 at age 86. Actually, I think I already said him. Yeah. Were, <laughs> um, but the, the Rizzutos were already uh, a crime family. They were mafioso in, in Sicily already. I, uh, uh, Hopefully, I pronounce this right. Catalica Eraclea, um, yeah. where the family were from, uh, but that because their dad apparently now, I've I saw when I was researching this, I found a different couple of stories, but one that seemed to be repeated elsewhere was that um, Vito Rizzuto's grandfather come over to America uh, in the thirties. And on August the 12th, 1933, in Putnam County, New York, he was murdered. Um, so there, would already, there was already, if you like, one attempt from the Rizzuto family uh, to, to come into America. But obviously, next time they come into to Canada. Yeah, and so um, when uh, Rizzuto was in Vail, Vito 
Vito Rizzuto, his father had to come out of retirement and run the family, and um, who was also running the family with him was um, his his grandson, Vito Rizzuto's son. And together, um, like, you know, they had to try to control this war that they all knew was coming, but um, the opposing guys who, there's various speculation on who to the, the, the opposing side was, sorry guys, but because um, they say a lot of people wanted, you know, the Rizzuto's dead, so. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, especially when that hit too. Yeah. All right, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna steer into the TV series for a minute. Who the fuck is Kim Coda's character supposed to be? Now, if you haven't seen the show, it's called uh, what? It's called Bad Blood. Episode? Yeah. Bad the, Blood. Episode, Blood. Yeah. Episode one is is awesome. Um, I think episode two is yeah. episode two. I think is more to do with. I don't think he existed. And episode two um, is more to do with um, a drama series than it is true life. I think the only the only, the only facts is that the Rizzuto family existed in Montreal, uh, uh, and they had people working for them. I think episode two that was about the only truth to it. You mean season? Uh, sorry, two, right? season. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I apologise. Yeah, season two. I didn't know if that's how they said it over there. I was going to be so fucking pumped. I was going to be like, "That's sweet that they call seasons episodes." But like, yeah, yeah no, yeah, yeah, season. But no, I, I, I really enjoyed Bad Blood one, but um, the yeah, second but season, no, oh, man. It's still good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's still like, great to watch, but oh yeah, yeah, good drama. Yeah. But like, like you said, it's not. It gets real unfactual real quick. And even the first season took its liberties. But actually, they, they. I mean, from like the little bit I know of Vito Rizzuto, they, they did pretty good. Like trying to fucking portray him, okay, like characteristic wise for what he was. They didn't, they didn't oversell him. They didn't undersell him. They still made him a fucking gangster. But like, they made him the type of gangster that he was. He was like, I, I don't know. I'd call him. I don't know if I call him a gentleman thing. It's really hard to throw that title out, but I guess, you know, I don't know, super proper, super polite, super, but I mean, I mean, he'd, he'd have somebody cut your fucking head off though. If you know, you, if yeah, but you only, know, only you say that Ian, but only if it, only if you're in that world, if, if you was in that oh, world, yeah, yeah, yeah. live by the sword, die by the sword. If you're outside that world, yeah. then yeah, Vito is a gentleman. It's the same as Lucky Luciano. Yeah, Lucky Luciano. I've seen it said on, a, in a few uh, uh, areas that, if you bumped into him in the street, he like literally bumped into him. He would apologize to you. That's how much of a gentleman it was. Yet in his world, he'd put a gun on anybody and shoot them. So it is two separate worlds entirely that we talk about, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And some and that's where like I will say he's a gentleman gangster, because some people don't know where that separates. Mm. You know, you, you start talking about some guys and like they were I mean like an Albert Anastasia, you know, something like that, to where you were just a mean person you just like you were bad to everybody that ever crossed your path but a lot of people uh, especially i mean especially like like little old ladies and like stuff like that you know just your neighborhood people your people that were like they love Vito, man they fucking he was he was canada's john Gotti. are you kidding See, me? I, I can relate it um to the situation here in the 60s with the craze and the richardson's now charlie richardson he was a gentleman gangster and the craze were like they were more bullies than they were gangsters, if that makes sense. They 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 were they they ran the East End by fear. Charlie Richardson run the South run South London out of respect. There's a big difference. Oh, okay. All right. I I, I know a little about the craze. I don't know much about that other gentleman, but I am gonna look in there. Charlie Richardson, absolutely. I mean, he's someone that I've um followed for years um he, he died a, a number of years ago but um yeah it's it, um 
he was just something else. He, he's, yeah, he was something else. Yeah, um, Kim Coates' character in, um, in Bad Blood was supposedly based on um, a Montreal mobster by the name of uh, Declan Gardner, I believe. Okay. Yeah, Declan Gardner. He was um, a close associate of um, Rizzuto's, possibly, um, like they say, his number two, but he was extremely close with Vito, and that's who that character is based on. But he had nothing... You know, he never won against Vito in the wars, as far as I know, anyway. Yeah, but uh, Gardner, that doesn't sound Italian. So what? So he was, like, stuck in associate, but Vito fucked with him, like, pretty heavy, like, would, would put him on and shit? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what his uh, what his background was, you know, but that's, that's, that's definitely cool. not an Italian. Ne- uh, Italian but there could be something to that, you know what I mean? Like, his, he took his stepfather's last name, you know, so... There, there could be. I mean, as much as as much as I mean, I, I very much um, respect the Catroni family as well because as much as the Rizzutos, um were huge and obviously the respect that Vito had himself because Vito took over at quite a young age. I mean, his dad went to Venezuela after no time, but the Catroni, I mean, the Catronis themselves, um, I think they. They, I mean, if I remember rightly, they're from Reggio Calabria. Um, and again, they were another family that moved over to Montreal, but they moved over in the early days. And Catroni himself and his brothers were soon working for the Quebec Liberal Party and the Union Nationale. Exactly the same way that went on in America, where you had these, these gangs that were working for politicians and then once the gangs started getting a lot of power, the politicians found that they were soon working for these gangs. And and it is quite, it, it, I find it quite coincidental that the growth of the American mafia and the growth of the Canadian mafia from kind of the 1920s very much mirror each other. Uh, and I, I obviously think that a lot of that comes from the Sicilian uh, influence. I don't know what you two think. Yes. Uh- I believe so. The Catroni family was um, also a very powerful family. Mm. Vic Catroni, he was a guy that truly, truly believed in um, in the mafia. He actually had a um, a kid with his mistress. And during uh, all the mob wars in Canada, he sent his son and his mistress down to Florida to live down there to stay away from it all. Mm. And as he got a little older... Um, he wanted to go, he, you know, he hadn't seen his son in years because um, he, he moved them there permanently and he wanted to go over and visit uh, his son before he died. But he knew they weren't going to they weren't going to let him do that. You know, the Canadian government or the United States government wasn't going to let him in. So he actually went to a cop that had been trying to catch him for years. And uh, he said to him, I want to go visit my son in Florida. You know, I, I need help. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says to him. You know, well, I can help you, but you have to, you know, give us some information, you know, on the mob and all that. And he just, you know, shook his head and said, that's not our way. And um, the guy said, well, you're not going to go see a son. And Catroni said, it is what it is. And that was it. So even, you know, he wanted to see his son one time before he died, but he wasn't going to break his code. Mm. That's a fucking gangster. In order to do so. 
Yeah. Because right when he said it, he said, it's not our way. Like, you know, talking about it, it's not our way. Ian, believe me, the the um, Contreras and the Cotroni family, are they're probably worth three or four episodes on their own. Um, what, what I mean, they, they were... Uh, and, and if you think as well that before the Rizzuto family arrived in, in Montreal, Carmine Galanti was already up there um, securing Montreal as one of the major drug um, hubs in the trafficking operation, which obviously become known as a French connection. So, yeah, it's yeah, sorry, go on, it's boy. alleged that Galante was um, collecting gambling profits of fifty million a year from Montreal's operations, mm. which is an insane amount of money now. Never mind back in the fifties. There, now, there's a there's a cocksucker who could have had it all had he not been so fucking greedy and so fucking violent, man. Yep. Like, I really – every time I look back on Carmine Galate, I'm like, wow, ah, man, miss, miss talent, waste of talent. Like, uh, not a waste of talent because you're, you were, you'll always remember who you were. Well, you, he probably could have stretched that fucking shit until they indicted him and he died in prison. Ian, billion do, do you know why he got – he eventually – I mean, obviously, they were trying to get him out of Canada for a long time. Um, but do you know what eventually got him deported from Canada? He got I, I caught with undeclared American cigarettes and uh, 200 legal Cuban cigars. Mm-hmm. And that allowed the police to deport him back to America. And do you know something? By the time he was deported in April 1956, over 60% of the heroin that was being sold in America was being landed in Montreal. That's how important Carmine Galanti and the Bonanno family were in the drug game. Well, that explains why fucking Detroit and uh, New York City had such bad heroin problems. They were right there. They were one of the first mm. on the pipeline. Man. That makes a lot because, like Detroit, Detroit's heroin problem uh, in like in that period in time, it, it, it do it's fucking it's up there. As is New York, as is Boston's, I'm sure. As is Philly's, you know. what I mean, because like a lot of like I don't know, like a lot of like the fentanyl and that type of shit. Uh, most of it comes from Mexico now. You know what I mean? So like when, when you think of it, like nowadays, it's like Atlanta's really your hub. It hits Atlanta and it hits all fucking all the because Atlanta's got that, that uh. span out where six separate highways, however many it is, take you to every like it takes you to every coast in America. You're either going to fucking end up hitting to come up 75 to come up to like Detroit to where like I like around where like I'm from. You're going to head out to L.A. or you're going to head up towards like Rob's way or you're going to go right back down to Florida. But, like, fucking, it goes all over, and it's all coming from Mexico. So Dallas, Houston, you know, and then it hits Atlanta, gets cut. But, like, back in the day, if all of it was hitting Montreal, then that means we were the Atlanta, or, like, Boston and New York and Detroit, and then it hit Chicago, and then it hit. So, wow, you learn something new every day. Look at that. See, everybody, if you just listen to the (laughs) podcast, I fucking love it. I run the podcast, and I learn something new every day. Got to get one more rant out, guys. David, everything you just said where you're like, I want to know what you guys think. Rob, you actually rebuttaled beautifully because I just started laughing. And I was like, well, how do you top that? Because, Dave, you went, you always go on like this 10-minute <laughs> perfect fucking worded thing you could say about like how to work. And then you're like, and what do you think? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, that sounds about like the move. That's, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know how to top that. That's fucking you guys, are kill, you guys are killing this episode. I am literally just sitting well, with my feet kicked up listening to you guys. Chewing on a mat. See, for me, the the growth of the um, Catroni family in Montreal, the inclusion then of the Bonanno family, rather than trying to take over, they knew important how important the Montreal docks were. 
um, and that the Catroni were controlling that. So, I mean, for me, if you want to, if you want to witness um, an actual, because you take it, I mean, the American Italian mafia kind of the, the growth of that is is there's so much going on that there, there's killings and everything else. But yeah, I mean, all right, there was a war in in Montreal, but. With the growth of the Catroni and the growth of the Rizzuto family, for me, just it just epitomises what the mafia was about. And and when when Catroni tried to keep a low profile in the seventies, he handed over control of the family to one of his capos plus his brother, um, and the capo was um, Violi, and Violi's father, Violi. yeah, his father Domenico, he was the head of uh, Andalangita. Uh, Angelina in back in in Calabria. So the connections and just just everything about the, the growth of the Montreal Mafia for me um, it is I don't know it, it, it's it, well you can probably tell it's quite I, I find it quite exciting and as I say the 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 Catroni and the Contrera link and what they went on to do elsewhere, which as I say are worth episodes on their own, just just blows me away. It really does. That's my point. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I love when you ask what we think for that. And I know sometimes Rob, Rob Ball's in the same position I do to where you're like, well, I mean, fuck, what more do you add? What, what, what more do you say? He said it. He done. So, welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway. This is a big Jackfire <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Brank Spear. Brank Spear. <laughs> Ian Byrne. <laughs> I love the way hey, you say it anyway, so I don't care. My- Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians. You can call me Ian Burr for the rest of your life if you want. That'd be fucking awesome. Shout out to Boston for that one, too, because that's where he's from. So fucking Boston keeps getting mad. So I think that. we should get back to the Rizzuto's anyway. Go on, Rob. I, I think you should take over. Uh, yeah, so um, I guess we go in and talk about how they took over the uh, family and everything like that. In the 1970s, early 1970s, Vic Catroni transferred his day-to-day operations over to Apollo. Violi, just like uh, Dave was just saying. And uh, after that, you know, is when the Rizzutos really wanted to, you know, they thought they should be, you know, running the fa- family and not um, not Violi. So that's why they decided to move on Violi and take him out. And Paolo Violi in, um, what was it? It was on... The first being they took out um Pietro Sierra, if I'm saying his name right, on Valentine's Day, 1976. It, he was uh, Paulo Violi's consigliere. Yep. That was the first person the Rizzutos moved again, you know, and they left his uh, body right in the street <clears throat> in order in order to like send a uh, message, or at least that's what I believe they 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 did it for. And um, Francesco. Violi, brother Apollo, w- was next in 1977. I yep. believe it was 1977. Yeah, October 8th, 1977. Um, yeah, he was um, killed by a shotgun. And then um, shortly after that, is when, uh, 1978, is when Paul, uh, Viol- Paulo Violi, it was January 22nd, 1978. Paulo Violi was shot in the head at close range at... Um, a coffee shop that he once owned. And then now, so the Rizzuto crime families now, um, you know, now had uh, control of it. 
Was they because Violi, Violi had asked for New York for um, he wanted permission to kill Rizzuto, didn't he? Nicolo Rizzuto, and that's when Nicolo, who had uh, obviously through the Contrera, uh, not uh, uh, Catroni, the uh, Contrera Cruana um, mafia clan, um, that that's when he went down to Venezuela. Yeah. Um... Yeah, well, he was on the when he went down there. Uh, you're talking about Nicola? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Violi yeah. had asked New York. He asked the commission um, for permission to uh, take out Rizzuto, and they denied it. But Rizzuto got word of it, so he he um, then fucked off to Venezuela. And that's when he left his son in, in charge. And apparently it was, um, it was uh, believe it or not, that uh, Thomas Obusqueta, that um, told the American authorities that uh, Rizzuto told him that's exactly why um, he had gone to Venezuela. Yeah, and I think he was trying to also let the heat die down on the Violi. Uh, yeah, of course. The Violi murder. But how, how long did he stay in Venezuela? Until he come back. Ah. Um, uh, <laughs> I answer. think, uh, what, when did uh, Nicolo come back? What Nicolo came back? I, I, it wasn't too long after. I don't think. I'm not exactly sure the exact date of that. Keep talking, guys. I can find it. Yeah, so he wasn't like in Venezuela for like that long of a stretch. Like he didn't. I mean, well, he handed over running the family to um, Vito. That's when he handed over the running to Vito. Um, I'm just trying to find when he come back. Um, Sometimes they never know those things, man. And sometimes the motherfuckers disappear and then, like, they pop back up on the scene and nobody knows they've been back. Well, I think he'd come back in 2004. Um, that's when every January, I think it was January 2004, that everyone got raided um, for the Bonanno family for that triple murder we were talking about earlier. Uh, and I think yep. he had come back then. Um, but I'm trying to find for, for sure, and I can't find it anywhere at the moment. Kids are. Um, he was um, in 1988, August of 1988, uh, he was arrested in uh, Venezuela. And so, yeah, and so um, they they got him back here in May, uh, May 23rd, 1993 was when uh, he landed back in Montreal. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, uh, he... Uh... I mean, d- during that time, did he, like, actually hand over control of his family, or was it one of those, like, bids where, like, you say you do, but you still really run things? Oh, yeah, he still called the shots, shots, no question. Okay, all right, all right. Because, like, sometimes, they're, like, they relinquish their power, and, like, I'm always like, mm, you know, but do they? You know, because I, I know I probably want it. I, I, like, I, especially for a guy like Vito Rizzuto, like, he's, I don't know, he's, I don't know, he, he's always 10 steps ahead, so why are you going to give the, you know, entire reign of, what you got to somebody who's probably not, you know, as many steps ahead of you. I know, I mean, all was his son, if you guys are saying, if I remember hearing you guys correctly, but I, you, then you still definitely got to think like I can run it better than him. It's your son. Like you, you're going to always like, you're just always going to feel like, ah, I'll, I'll just do it. No, I'll, I'll just do it. I'll handle it. I, I think, I yeah, think he, Nicolo knew he weren't his son. Um, uh, and I think he saw something in Vito from a very young age. Um, uh, and obviously, 
um, with everything that was going on. What a, a boss doesn't run. Do you know what I mean? He he found out that um, there'd been a, a, someone that had tried to ask the commission for permission to have him taken out, and he got refused. And to deal with it, he ran away. That's that's what how I saw it. Um, why run? Well, the commission, I believe, was on um, was on Rizzuto's side. Rizzuto was more of a uh, money maker. They liked him a little more. I mean, I I would have to you know go back and look at the info well, um, to see see if I'm remembering correctly. But I believe you know they didn't they didn't want to. Um, well, I I. I... Sorry, Rob. Um, I was going to say, I I went right back to um, Nicolo's kind of early days um, back in Sicily. Um, And the family, the Rizzuto family, were very close um, to the, who I was talking about earlier, the Contrera Coriana family. Um, Suculiana, I think, if I pronounce that right. And the the, uh, Contrera Coriana family, they were dubbed by the Italian press as the Rothschilds of the Mafia. And they reckon that um, the family, um, uh, I think they were responsible for something like 95% or something of the Sicilian Mafia's money in North America went through their hands um, that bought heroin. Uh, I mean, they that's... When it when you start looking into what took place on the um, island of Aruba, um, you should check that out. The the Contrera Caruana, Caruana um, family with Aruba. Uh, it's just an incredible story. But Nicolo Rizzuto had that protection, um, and that was what kept the commission off his back. Um, was his connection? I believe, anyway, from what I've been researching was through the connection with the Contrera Corana family and the fact that they controlled a hell of a lot of the money in North America. Yeah, because technically the Rizzuto family was under the yep. Bonanno family. They were like um, a branch of the Bonanno like how the, family. Like how the family was, the Gambino family kind of. But when you've got the, when you've yeah, got exactly. the Rothschilds of the Mafia as kind of your um, local... Uh, uh, um, kind of people you grew up with. <laughs> it gives you a lot of power as well. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. so would that put Bananos into, like, during different stretches, like, being the, the richest technical family if we wanted to, like, if we were going to split hairs and we were going to, like, really break it down, like, okay, like, Philly, Philly falls under Gambino, so whatever Philly made, like, the Gambinos technically, like, we'll, we'll lump it in with their, well, what they or like I mean I don't know like I, I, that, I, don't know. I never thought of it like that until just not like just right this second but I don't know I don't really know how I feel about it now. yeah <laughs> I, I didn't think of um I didn't really think of that either I because I'm just thinking you know like with law enforcement if I was fucking putting shit up on a board every family is their own family don't get me wrong don't get it twisted but like if I mean if the Rizzutos are more like they're under the bananos they they like they they work with them like they're entwined that heavy than like what's kind of theirs is kind of theirs. You know what I mean? So that that, yeah, that puts a whole different light on the Banano family for me. I got to be real about it because I always kind of look at them like... Well, the, the, the Bananos, the, the Bana- uh, as, as we know, that the Bananos were there before the Rizzuto family. Um, and one of, one of as oh, well yeah. as um, going up to um, open up the, the docks in Montreal for the French Connection, 
Carmine Galanti was also collecting the tribute. So um, they kind of, it, it, it was like they were paying rent. Um, so obviously the more money that the Rizzuto yeah, yeah. family earned, the more money the Bonanno family got. So it was worth it was worth the Bonanno family looking after the Rizzuto family. But I think, and, and the fact that the Rizzuto family got known as the sixth family goes to show that they were more they were more right, in then, partnership with the Bonanos than than part of the Bonanos. That's exactly what I think. That's true. That is true. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot they were called the Six Family yeah. there for because. For the Genovese family were the ones that were all, always basically yeah. the richest. So um, even even during that time, I believe, you know, and plus the Gambinos. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say Bananos were the richest because of that, but they definitely got a piece of what was going on. I think they more represented them on yeah, the commission basically. and stuff like that. It was in, it was in, I mean, Montreal was an important yeah. hub. Um, any... And, and and that's the same in Sicily. They they control all the ports in Sicily, and that's why the heroin was so easy to get out of Sicily and, and through um, from France because they had control of the docks. They had the control of the docks at Marseille. They had the control of the docks in Sicily, and they had the control of the docks in Montreal. And not only was that the route of the uh, French connection, it was also the route for the for the uh, for the pizza connection as well, which. Believe it or not, the Contrera Caruana, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but uh, the Contrera Caruana Mafia clan had control of. Um, it all, it, it just, as I say, I mean, I'll have to send you some links to the Caruana family because it really does blow my, well, it blows my mind, don't know, with what they were involved in. We should do a few, like a, a stretch here. We should do the next little stretch. I figured we were going to do two parts to Rizzuto. Mm. I kind of figured that was our plan. But then to do our next few stretches, like on Montreal, get Montreal knocked out of the way. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm down. I'm fucking down. Yeah, we, we have time to probably finish the, wrap the Rizzuto's up really, uh, really quick oh, you think, with the, um. You, oh, you think we can wrap the Rizzuto's up? I mean, I'm shooting for an hour, so I mean, we still got a grip. I just, yeah, like, so I we, we're good. But okay. if, and, right. if, and if we don't finish, we'll do a part two. Or if they want us to do a part two, we'll do a part two and or we'll do a series. You know what I mean? Whatever whatever our yeah, listeners yeah, want to do. Real. Yeah, it's on you guys. And there is also, if, if we do miss back. out on anything, sorry to plug myself here, guys, but if we do miss out on anything, there is a really good three-part series on nationalcrimesindustry.com called A Canadian Affair yeah. by yours truly. <laughs> That Davey Brecht beer boy right there. <laughs> no problem. No, it's a great article. I've, I've read that one like fucking, I don't know how I don't remember more about it. I think I'm just drunk every time I read your writing. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm this Davey. It's, it's one of those articles that was going to start off as a 1,500-word article, and I thought, no, I can't do this. And it, it's not, when you're researching stuff that you really have a passion for, it's not work. It, it's just, yeah, it's just, I mean, I get lost for hours in research. I, I Me too. That. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, but, so with the getting back to like um, the war and everything. So when Violi went to the Bananos and asked for their support, you know, he, they basically, you know, like like we were just talking about, they said no. But it was basically like they were saying, handle it yourselves. You know what I mean? You guys, you know, can do that. And so when the war started, I believe Violi, um, oh, no, no, the Rizzutos struck first. And then, um, then we already talked about that, and then Viola hit and everything like that. So now they're now in charge of uh, 
of Montreal and they'll run it for decades, um, sometimes even with little interruption from uh, police and convictions and, and whatnot. But when Vito Rizzuto uh, was indicted for the three capitals murder and he went to prison, um, you know, he, he pleaded guilty in 2007, like I said, and he was released from the ADX Lauren Supermax October 5th, 2012. Um, and immediately sent back, sent back to Montreal. But uh, there was so much going on that Vito basically, because of the war, Vito basically went into hiding, um, you know, to determine who his friends were, who he could trust, and how how he'll get control back uh, of the family. But going back to what happened when he was in jail, everybody knew that was the perfect time for them to make their move against the Rizzutos. So, like I said, his father came out of retirement, and uh, his oldest son, Niccolo Rizzuto Jr., was also running the family with his grandfather. But um, he, was, he was down too, wasn't he? What's that? Now his his son was gone down too, wasn't yeah. he? I know his father was shot by a sniper through the window, but wasn't his son jogging or walking the dog or something? And wasn't he killed? Well, that's in, in the show Bad Bad Blood. That's that's what he was doing. But in real life, um, he was actually at his mistress's house, and um, he came he walking. He came, he came walking out and um, he was walking to his white two-door Mercedes when um, someone came up and shot him several times in the chest. And, oh, goddamn. Um, right. Now, this was all while, um, while Vito's in jail. And shortly before that one, uh, one of his associates, uh, Federico Del yep. Pescio, if I'm saying it right, um, yeah, he was killed August 21st, 2009. Then um, his son in December of 2009. And then his brother-in-law, his sister's husband, uh, Paulo Renda, he was actually Vito's consigliere. He just vanished on May 20th, 2010. Um, they found his car parked with the door open um, on the side of the road as if maybe he was forced off the road, you know, taken out of the car at gunpoint or whatever. But he vanished. His body mm-hmm. was never found. And then um, next was, I believe, Augustino uh, Contera, yeah. if I'm saying that right, uh, I apologize for how horrible I am with the with the pronouncing. Butcher oh, the Italian last yeah. names. I'm telling you. Yeah, but so he's killed in 2010, and then later in in 2010 in November is when his father Nicolo Rizzuto was killed by a sniper through his um through his kitchen window. What was it? That was... Isn't how he took he took the family over like that? Huh. Well, yeah, back, yeah, he did take out one of, um, one, one person like that years and years back. Um, I should have looked it up before we did this. I can't recall who did it, but yeah, he had someone killed by a sniper. So it was just, you know, pretty uh, funny, not funny that, yeah, that he, he himself was, um, killed. Was that, you know what I mean? Was that the plan? Was that the family who he killed striking him back? Who knows? That's what I wonder. Kind of like a, joke, but Ian, kind of like a hey, you should see what happened when Rizzuto come out of jail. Um, I'd actually, I've got a list for it. Yeah. Um, you had um, three guys, Cordiglione, Gensali, and a guy called Mohammed Awada. They were killed back to back in 2012 because they tried to um, kidnap someone back in 2008. Then you had a guy called uh, Joe DiMaolo who um, he was um, – he set up one of the hits on the Rizzuto clan. He was shot in a driveway of his own. 
And then prior to Christmas, you had someone else uh, that was banged up with Rizzuto and was a rival, uh, Giuseppe Di Vito, and Dominic Ficini. Uh, then you had another guy, Gitan Geslin, who was murdered in front of his house. Another guy, Vincenzo Scuderi, who was an associate of Di Vito. And then you had Caluiti, uh, again, I apologise for the pronouncing, uh, Gallo. I mean, there was, and then yeah. another 21 related murders that are still unsolved after Vito come out of jail. <laughs> That's like, you want to fuck with me? Okay, I'm out now. Yep. Well, like I, I said... This place. Don't call it a comeback, dude. That's not a jail. Yeah. <laughs> God bless. Go ahead, Rob. Like, like I said before, um, so Vito gets back to Montreal after he's getting released, and now, you know, everybody's at war. He don't know who's on his side, who's not on his side. So he basically went into hide, and then uh, that way there he could plan his revenge and see who's with them and who's not with them. But one of the main reasons Vito got everybody back um, that was on his side before he got them back on his side is, like we talked about, Vito, you know, would make them so much money and show them working together, uh, make so much money. So this time, now that Vito wants to take control, he says to them, he goes, listen, same as arrangement as last time, but except this time, whatever money you make, you keep. You don't give nothing to me. I don't want, I don't need your money. I don't want it. All I want is blood, meaning revenge for his son. And so that sounded pretty good to them that, oh, okay, so I mean, we don't got to pay you millions and millions and millions a year. You just want us to help you get back control and you're going to run it. Cause like I said, the Rizzuto's were billionaires, so he didn't need yeah. it. And plus he really wanted revenge for his son and, and he got it. And another thing is, is uh, now he, he ordered over a dozen murders um, in retaliation. But when Vito Rizzuto died suddenly of cancer on um, December 23rd, 2000, 13 he was secretly uh battling lung cancer and uh he was 67 when he passed but not everybody that he wanted dead was dead by that time you know so he died before that that his hit list could be completed but Vito's men were so loyal to him and respected him so much that they still went went ahead and carried out those hits <laughs> that fucking that, fucking 10 other people yeah, but that's amazing. That just shows you the the respect and the yeah. power he had. That he's dead, so you think they're like, oh well, you know, the the, fuck bo- them, fuck the, the what they normally do. Yeah, yeah, the boss is dead. The boss is dead, so we don't need to finish this list. We don't need to kill the rest of these guys. But nope, they, you know, out of respect and whatever, whatever the reason was, they finished that list and took them out. Can you imagine being one of the pricks who was all like, ha ha, Vito's dead, I outlive that fucking list, everything's going to go back to everything, just because of how the mob does normally kind of work. And you're like, no, everything's everything. And you go to get in a car with your boy, and he's like, hey, sorry, bop, fucking fires one right in your cheekbone. You're like, what the fuck? He's like, hey, man, Vito wanted you gone. Puts it to your neck and blows you the rest of the way away. <laughs> yeah, there's actually speculation on whether or not um... – Wow, do you know what? I was just about going to bring <laughs> up the fact that the night before he died, he was at, he was at a party, wasn't he? And he, he got ill. And when he died, yes. Uh, yes. It, although they put it down as natural causes, they didn't do an autopsy. 
and oh, they cremated yeah. him instantly, which is funny because his father, I believe, was buried. Yeah. I believe his son was buried. So why didn't he want to be buried in the family plot? You know, they had him cremated. It's almost like so you can't test exactly. his body. They and can't, see, yeah, they can't see what's in They it. can't retest it. They can't dig him up again to That's, test. So, yeah, it does. I mean, for me, yeah, it might be circumstantial evidence, but I... I Sicily or Sicilians get buried, didn't they? They don't get cremated, and and like you say, he would have been he would have been buried at the family plot. That's that's what happens, and so yeah, yeah. how on earth um, did it just it stinks? It really does stink. It does, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist because it's uh, it does sound a little out there. Like, oh, why go through all that trouble? Why not just shoot him? Why, you know what I mean? Why poison his strength? But in the in the uh, the show Bad Bloods, it showed that Declan had poisoned his wine, and Vito yeah. was, was yeah, yeah was home alone drinking, and you know then he then he dropped. But actually, the night before he was at a party, he was with a bunch of people, and uh, everybody kept buying him drinks and all that. So. That, it was that Gartner, man. It yeah. was Declan. I'm telling you, the writers of Bad Blood, they got it down. <laughs> the strangest truth. Truth is strangest fiction. How yeah. the fuck does it go? I'm just kidding. I don't know how they killed him. But, but the point is, is how easy is that to um, have killed him if that's what they wanted? I mean, everybody's buying him drinks, so he's not going to be suspicious that someone handed him a drink. Yeah. But, no, yeah. yeah. A little more confident. Uh-huh. The reason is, like, you know, like we said, he was secretly battling lung cancer, but... um. He was doing okay. He was good enough to go out drinking yeah, and stuff like that. Me. So, you know, yeah. So it was like, you know what I mean? Maybe the cancer wasn't the cause and it, and it was a poison. And we'll never know for sure. Yeah. I mean, his wife woke up, I believe, the next morning. And Vito was face first, uh, face first mm. on the bedroom floor. Yeah, no, I, uh, I I think that makes three of us for like, I mean, we're giving it the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Vito Rizzuto was definitely. There's, yeah, I mean, what followed afterwards, you, you could say that, um, okay, fair enough, but with what followed afterwards, then as far as I'm concerned, Vito was murdered. That burying thing, that's what always made me think when they were like, they cremated them, because I, I mean, you nail, I mean, you nail it, David, mm. like they don't, that's not how they, they get buried, they don't get cremated, you know what I mean? Like, and so that was always a big thing for me, too. And that, I didn't even know about the family plot, Rob, but that just fucking laid the icing on the cake for me. That, like, oh, and there was a family plot and you cremated? Yeah. Like, no, you you, killed him. you guys fucking killed him and you burned him up. Like, good job. It, I mean, not a good job because he was actually not that bad of a guy for being a gangster. The, but, like, I mean, they, you got him. the only problem with that part about him being cremated is, like, usually the family makes that decision. So his it's not like his enemies or whoever had him, if he was killed, whoever had him killed had him cremated instantly. So that one's kind of hard to look past because it's mm. usually up to the family. So it's almost like, how, how the hell would they get him cremated without uh, the family's permission? But I'm just saying, it's just another thing that leans towards the poisoning. Yeah. But I don't believe I any mean, of his, I don't believe any of his immediate family was involved in it. Go ahead, Ian, I'm sorry. No, just being very pushy with whoever you need to sign the documents to get him cremated could get him cremated because all their strength and power and what protected them forever just died. And then the old man's gone. The son's gone. What are you left with? Like you, you approach Vito's wife afterwards. Like, I really think we should cremate Vito. It's really what he would have wanted. She's like, why are we in a dark, darkly lit room? Why are you, why, why do you keep moving uh -huh. closer to me? You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't, 
when when you said the immediate family thing, I was like, fuck, he's got a good point. And then I was like, wait, we're talking about fucking gangsters here. Like, you, you start immediate family signature on shit. That don't mean shit. These motherfuckers forged everything their entire lives all the way through. Like, go get a signature so we can get somebody free. Yeah, yeah, look, if, if the Royal Mounted County Police money. wanted, um, or what Canadian police wanted him cremated, they would have cremated him and they would have said, uh, who knows what they would have said. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah. Oops. Like, uh, fucking Canadian feds. <laughs> Oh, burial. Sorry, we thought you said cremation. We do apologize. (laughs) Here's 10% off your next speeding fine. (laughs) Oh, boys, that's good. So, I mean, he really is like the gangster of like my era, I guess, because like I'm, I'm a little younger than you guys. So I'm 28. So if I guess anybody was running the show while like I was coming of age, while I was like a, a kid in you know fucking junior high, high school, all that, it would, it would be Vitor Ozuda. I graduated 2011. He died what 2013. Like so he was the, the um, man of my era, really, really as far as gangsters go. The Canadian mafia, um, if uh, or especially the Montreal from from the 1920s onward, if you want a real vision of what the mafia was about and what the mafia could have been about taking all the crap out of all the infighting that went on in New York and Chicago and that, then um, you can't, you can't go no wrong. Uh, I, I just love the, the Montreal mafia uh, and the story of the Montreal mafia. Um, I, yeah, they, they really did. And, and for me, it is the, 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 right, the, the mirror of what the mafia from Sicily or what the mafia in North America and America should have been. Um, and who knows what would have happened had it have been that way in America rather than Canada. Americans just seem to like that that flauntiness too much for all the for all the people you do get that really were, you know, old schoolers, mm-hmm. your Don Carlos, your you know, your Don Beals, all that. There's a hundred to one John Gotti's. Everybody wants their fifteen minutes. I'm not saying anything bad. Gotti, I, I want my fucking 15 minutes too. Otherwise, I want to start a fucking podcast. You know what I mean? Like, but it, it just seems like it's the American way. Did you know? Here's a fun little study for you, Dave. Over in England and over in like all, all those countries over by you guys and all those places, your guys' psychopaths don't display nearly as much. Um, the crazy did. Minutes, the whole uh, the 15 minutes of fame. The Richard they they they, they went out looking for. I mean, they they started inviting celebrities to the embassy club. They really, they 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 were being interviewed on TV and and things like that. And it was like you don't do that. <laughs> you 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 kind of you don't do that. Well, boys, I'm fucking about to. Oh, it's been a great show. I've loved it. Well needed food from all this partying my life away over on this end of the water. (laughs) Fucking dude, you guys tore it up. You guys know more about Montreal than Montreal. Let me tell you something. Uh And and like we said, if anybody wants us to do uh, part two on it, or if they want us to do a series. You know, on on yeah, it or yeah. and on other shows like and, that. And the thing know, is, as well, some of I want people to know as well is we don't plan these. Want to hear? Uh, <laughs> we plan them. <laughs> we plan them on messengers. Like, all right, let's do it in court. Let's do it in fifteen minutes, shall yeah. we? So I mean, so um, if if it's kind of um, like 
with Rob, I don't know what Rob's going to say. So I'm. that's why sometimes I, I get put on the back foot as well because it's like, oh, shit, that's what I was going to say. So we don't plan it. Uh, and I think that works better, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I do, too. That's the way we – I'm sorry. One second, Ian. Sorry. I, I, I agree with you, Dave. And um, th- that was the way we wanted it when we were always talking about it because it's as natural as possible. You know, if we told everybody, all right, listen, I'm going to ask you about this person. I'm going to ask you about this person. I'm going to ask you this. We're going to study these people to refresh our memory and all that. Doing it this way, it shows our knowledge, you know, and it shows what it's like without having the notes right in front of you, which is why sometimes we don't, you know, we don't know if it's early 1970, late 1970, you know, because we don't, mm. we don't do the research and plan like that because we just want it to be natural. Yeah, like we're just sitting at a bar chatting up gangsters that we've all read about. And when, when you're sitting at a bar chatting up gangsters you've all read about. I mean, once in a while, you, you people hit it, and they're like, no, man, that one was like like the Paul Castle album, yep. Murder. That's December 16, 1985. I'll never, ever, 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 ever not know that. Mm. Day. You know what I mean? Like, But there's some days where it's like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't know the Carmine Galante hit day. I can never seem to stick yeah. that one in my head. You know? like, But no, I fucking, I love the way we do it, boys. That, like, this is podcasting. This is good fucking radio. This is good podcasting. Like, it's solid. You don't sit there with, like, a whole, you either get really, really solid guests, you have really good hosts and co-hosts and you guys work really well together or you have one of those like when i was first kind of doing it that's why like it, it was like hit or miss because it's so generic and i do tell people that like hey man just talk through my earlier episodes or fuck it don't listen to them i don't care go to the ones that have like me and my people doing our thing because i was just trying to get the shit off the ground you know what i mean and it is it's you looking at a piece of paper where you wrote out everything mm-hmm. i try to remember to go off on rants and rambles from time to time but I would just be so like, there's nobody here doing this with me. I'm just going to fuck ramble right through it. Uh, and then when I learned like how a podcast is really supposed to go, I give him a big shout for this. Ron Rocha is my first guest ever on the show, actually. I think it's episode 10 or something like that. He is the first person who ever like came on and like did, you know, did one up with me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is how it's supposed to go. And then I was like, well, I got to get my, my, my partners in on it. You know what I mean? I was all like, where's, I love it. where's fucking Rob at? I was like, let's get after this. You know what I mean? I appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, like, I, you know, oh, no, I love it. I know I was real skeptical to do it in the uh, beginning because I'm not a radio person. Never did any podcasts or anything like that. But, um, you know, and I didn't want to come on and embarrass myself or anything, you know. But exactly. now, since we decided to do it this yeah, way and make it natural, oh, I, I absolutely love it. I look forward to <laughs> exactly. it. And you know what, if right? This, this is why... If and, anyone and, don't like um, it, fuck it, don't Do what you like listen. kind oh. of thing. And this is why I like Bad Guy Podcast. And, and like, I, I'll give them a chat again because it's like they're like a family. You've got Locke, you've got DC, there's Dan. And they just sit and chat bollocks. They, but it's not bollocks. They just... They, they, they just sit and chat and I just love it. And and that's like, but they do it their way and we do it our way. And, and, and that's what I think I like about ours as well is like that we just do it our way. Uh, and everyone does their own thing on other podcasts. And that's, there's, there's so many good podcasts out there and it's just like, um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. Not that, not that he needs my promotion whatsoever, but fucking uh, Joe Rogan, man. Joe Rogan's fucking podcast, Joe Rogan Experience. That's what got me into podcasts. I was like, God damn, if this guy can sit down with literally any person you fucking hand him, 
and get two and a half, three hours, four hours of like in-depth picking their brain conversation. He's had people on that I was all like, fuck it. For first off, I used to not like him. And then I flipped on that. And then he's had people on where I'm like, man, I don't even really like that person. But I'll listen to the podcast. And I'm like, oh, you know what? They're not the fucking piece of shit I thought they were. They're still just a human with opinions. And I might not like how they put themselves out there in certain ways. But that's on me. No, that's that's what who I'm... I am. So I don't know, man. Like, I just, I fuck with podcasting. And I'm really happy no, to be here doing Rob, this. Rob, Ian, so, again, but that's, been a pleasure. That's all I got. And fucking, if there's anything else you guys want to shout out real quick. Thanks, Abe. Thank you.